Good morning. Thank you all for coming back. I was a little worried. It was sparse in here. I was like, oh, they knew I was going to be around for a while. Uh, <laughs> uh, they got the email. Um, uh, y'all have a good Easter? Yes. Did you eat a lot of food? A lot of candy? No? No candy? That's too much candy? Yeah. We ration it a little bit, but I do love me some Easter candy and sweets and stuff. Uh, thank you all again for having me here. Thank you for giving Ajal and I the chance to serve you all in this way. Um, it's a big uh, privilege and honor to be expositing God's word and really studying through God's word with you. Because with this not being my, my full-time job, I'm just trying to stay like... A week ahead of you guys as we're reading through this, right? Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be digging into the scriptures in this way, in kind of a different way than I've studied in a while. John is, John's fun to read if you just read it over and over again. It's sometimes hard. You know, we talk about that tangle. It's kind of hard to straighten out into something that presents logically. It's, it's a really good book for meditating on. So I would encourage you in that. Just meditate on the, the words that you read. Uh, read a few verses at a time and just stew on it for the day. It can really be beneficial to your heart. Uh, before we start, I do want to, uh, just a couple of prayer requests for you guys. Uh, one, if you haven't heard, Pastor Peter is going to have to have another back surgery, uh, which is not ideal in any circumstances. Um, the bad news, that means you're stuck with me for a little bit longer. Uh, but we're just praying that he would heal well, that he would regain strength, that his pain would be alleviated. Pray for Miss Jean as she supports him. Uh, you know, just texting with him. Peter's a tough guy. He really is. He is a tough, tough guy. Uh, and just praying for him, for God to show him more of himself even through this. Because we know that our suffering is not in vain and is not pointless, but that there is, there is a method to what can sometimes seem to us to be madness, right? Uh, pray for Angel and I also, as we are trying to figure out how to serve in this area. It is taking some scheduling, reworking, and figuring out how do I do this on a weekly basis as long as I'm needed to. Uh, this last week was a hard week, beginning with Easter. It just felt like things kept popping up that took up a lot of mental space for me. And, and it, some of this felt like very much this is like this is attack of, of the enemy. Uh, I don't use that spiritual warfare language a lot. I probably should more than I do. But I was like, this all seems like really big coincidences that all this stuff is hitting at the same time. So just be praying for us. Uh, God's taking good care of us, but, but just be praying that, that uh, this path would be smoothed out a little bit so we can serve you guys well. Um, so that said, let's get into our passage for today. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a, a forecast of what we're doing, recap what we've, we've done. Um, I plan to talk about these next, two, these next kind of five verses for the next two weeks. First, it was going to be one week, and then I started digging up more stuff, so I can't do that. I need, I need two weeks to do this. And then I got, after I pretty much had my notes done, I had Pastor Peter, I saw that he was going to have another surgery, that I was going to be extended out longer. So I'm figuring out what that's going to look like exactly. Uh, but for now, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to look at, at the agenda uh, that John has for his people, why he's writing this letter, and then... Uh, and then an admonition that he has in light of that agenda, and or the occasion, I guess. And then we're going to look at the effects of observing that admonition. 
Uh, I'm loving seeing some youth up in here. Aaron told me to give all the youth a hard time about not being in here. Or he asked me to give him a hard time about not having youth in here. But he's, y'all, we got a lot of youth in here. Thank y'all for being here, guys. Uh, I love seeing that. I love seeing that. Um, so let's recap what we started with uh, last week. Remember, we talked about the people who were leaving the church. And these were teachers who had... Uh, some sort of authority, some sort of influence over these, these congregations. They'd stepped out and they were preaching a gospel that was not what John had originally preached and what Christ had originally preached. It specifically dealt with uh, denigrating the deity of Christ, the idea that Christ as God couldn't come in the flesh. Do y'all remember that? So either he wasn't God at all, or he temporarily became God, but then, or appeared to be God, but wasn't really God. And John is responding. This whole letter is, is a response to that, to that false gospel. Do y'all remember all that? Great. Uh, so this week, we are going to talk about, like I said, that occasion, the, the admonition he has in response to that occasion and then what that admonition is going to affect in them. And we're also going to remember, remember the three-legged stool that we talked about, the, the proofs of genuine salvation, which were the moral test, right? The relationship test, and then the, the doctrine test, which is kind of what we're in the midst of right now. Uh, so that said, let's read our passage. We're going to start in 1 John 2, 24. We're going to read through verse 28, I believe it is. Um, And then we'll get in. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your truth. God, thank you for being the God who these truths are about. I pray that you would open our mind to your truths, Lord, and help me to to communicate them clearly. And, and succinctly, Lord, and help us to appreciate you and move into worship more for you as a response to the goodness that you've included in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So remember I talked about how John likes to take these words and pack them with meaning over the course of his books and then like unpack them. Like, like if you're going on a trip, he packs a suitcase, you show up a few verses later and then you unpack the verse and you've got all these meanings that he put in over time. We're going to deal with two of those words today and they're really important words for John. There's beginning and abide. We're going to talk about those words a lot. I'm probably going to talk about them more next week, especially the abide word. Um, so that's what we're going we're gonna to get into. Um, but again, I want to start with the occasion, why John's writing this letter. Uh, we remember these guys that are, that are trying to deceive the people into this false gospel. Um, and I think remembering the occasion of a letter is important because 
The Bible wasn't written in a vacuum. It was written by specific people, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to specific people in specific situations. And before we figure out how the verses apply to ourselves, we need to remember, we got to figure out what, why did God say these things to these people at this time? And from there, when we see the principle he's trying to communicate to them, we can take that and, and figure out how those principles apply to our lives um, and what he's trying to communicate about himself to us. You know, and I think especially as we get into this, because there's going to be a verse we get to next week, so I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. There's going to be a verse in here, uh, verse 227, about not needing any teachers. And just to, that's a really confusing verse when you read it. Like, wh- what? So we have to remember what John is writing about here. He's writing about false teachers who aren't just teaching something that's slightly erroneous. They are undermining the very foundation of the gospel itself. And so John's going to use really strong language about that because it's a really strong threat. So, again, we'll get more into it. We have to remember why John's writing to know why he says some of the things that he says. We cool with that? Cool. So let's get to this admonition where we start in verse 24. It says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. So that's a command, right? It is do this thing. Let this thing happen. Um, But it's an interesting command because it's let this other thing do this thing. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. So the thing that's actually doing the action there of abiding is what you heard from the beginning. So it's let the gospel do this thing. And it's weird to get a command that's actually a command for something or somebody else. Make sure your little brother does this. I can only do that so much, you know, if my kids know what that's like. Um, So let let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And like I said, this verse has two of those big suitcase words for John, uh, beginning and abide. And so we're going we're gonna to sort out beginning first, and then we're going to sort out abide. And like I said, I'm barely going to touch abide. There are whole books written on the word abide um, and, and the theology behind that. But let's talk about the beginning. So let what you heard from the beginning. So we need to ask ourselves as we read that, what did you hear from the beginning? Right? We, we, there's, a, there's a subject here in this verb, in, in this sentence that we need to know, that we need to understand what's going on. Um, so, uh, sorry, one second. So what has John been writing from the beginning? What's he been writing? Well, let's look at the beginning of his gospel. Who knows the beginning of John's gospel by heart? Evangeline or Atticus. Say it real loud. All right, that's enough. Thank you. Uh, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Um, that's the beginning of the book of John itself. Now, the book of First John... He also begins with beginning. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the father and was revealed to us. 
A couple things you notice in that verse. You hear all those tactile languages from John that we talked about last week? He sees things, he touches things, he hears things. He picked up the linen bandages from the ground. John is a very tactile gospel. He wants to put you in there and remember the occasion. The false teachers are teaching the separation of God and the flesh, that, that God couldn't be incarnate. And John's saying, oh, but no, he is. He got, Christ came incarnate. And let me blow your minds, he's still incarnate. Christ resurrected in an incarnate body and he ascended incarnate and he resides in heaven incarnate. He's not some spirit up there. And that's a really weird thought for us sometimes if we just kind of think of everything in heaven as spiritual. Christ is incarnate in heaven. And so this incarnation thing is a big deal to John and especially in light of these false teachers. That is the gospel that he's presenting. And that's why when he says, beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning, he wants them to hold fast to what they were taught initially. And he wants them to reject anything that conflicts with that message. You'll see other apostles do this too, right? Paul does this. Remember, he says, like, if you even hear an angel or me or anybody else come and say anything besides what I first said, disregard that, let them be accursed. Right? Remember that? Um, the gospel is unchanging, and that's good news. If we were aiming at a moving target, we'd be hopeless. We can't keep up with that. Uh, and it's unchanging because Jesus and what he proclaimed from the beginning is also unchanging. Uh, in John 8, 25, uh, when they ask, who are you? And he says, exactly what I've been telling you from the beginning. What are the, y'all remember in the, in the gospel of John, there's these seven big I am statements. I'm sure you guys have been in class long enough with Peter to know that's a big deal. That I am is not just, hey, I am Nick. I am Angel's husband. I am Evangeline's dad. I am... Uh, Butch's son, I am, I am this guy. It's I am. And those are bigger words when God says them than they are when I say them. So exactly what I've been saying to you from the beginning. Well, from the beginning, Jesus has been saying, I am the bread of life. I am the door. He's been saying all these, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Um, that is, that is the foundational gospel from the beginning. From John's perspective, as he looks at the gospel, and, and when I say John's perspective, perspective, I guess what I really mean is the Holy Spirit's perspective through the person of John. The gospel message is about the identity of Christ as God, as God who came in the flesh to take on wrath, to welcome sinners into fellowship with him. That is John's gospel. That is the gospel of Christ through the lens of John. And that message is unchanging because who Jesus is from the beginning is unchanging. In the beginning, as Atticus said, though you couldn't hear me, I picked my quietest kid to say it out loud, and that was probably not my best choice. Um, but he knows it. Uh, in the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And this is a really clear throwback to Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, so here's God's word, let there be light, and there was light. So God creates the whole world through his word, which is Jesus. We got that? It breaks your brain if you think about it too hard. Um, God the Father and creator of the world and Christ, the manifestation of the word of God, conspiring to create all of creation for a very specific purpose. Why was the universe created? Y'all are so, Peter has y'all so afraid to answer. He does. You're like, oh, for his glory, right? He is the image. This is Colossians 1, 15 through 17. It's not in your notes. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This is Jesus. For by him, the word, were all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This is the gospel, okay? It, it, the gospel is about the glory of God and the person of Christ. We get benefits from that, but, but it's not about us primarily. Do you understand that? What should this beginning do? It should abide in you. Now, this is just an enormous word, and I, I can't do it justice. I'm even wondering if I'm going to have to pull a Peter and kick like all of my effects into next week. Um, this is the Greek word meno. And just so you all know, there's no magic in Greek words. It's just the words that Greek people use. Uh, I don't even use them, and I'm partially Greek. Uh, there's no magic in knowing the word that was used in original scripture. Don't be like, ooh, he knows the word. Like, you can Google that. It's not hard. Um, but where it is useful is where a word is translated a bunch of different ways. If you want to look at how it's used, because sometimes translators will, will use them different ways, but you can see a theme running through how this word is used in a particular author's writing or throughout a section of books that maybe isn't as obvious in the original language. or Sorry, in, in the translated language. So, for example, like Romans 9-11, uh, talking about in order that God's purpose of election might continue, that's this word, abide. Same word, meno. First uh, Peter 1-23, because you have been born again, not of, it, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God, that's meno, that's the abiding word of God. So what is Abiding. It is a, it's a tricky concept to communicate. Uh, it's a word meaning to stay, but it's an active word meaning to stay. Um, it's not just waiting around. Sometimes it's even used to wait, but there's a waiting with expectation. Uh, it's to actively stand as though against either active opposition, so someone trying to knock you down, or natural entropy. Y'all know what entropy is? Entropy is the... Is the the reality of a broken world that things tend to fall apart. When you see ruins, even if nobody burned them down thousands of years later, they're, they're just beat up because of entropy. Things fall apart. 
Um, to actively stand as though against either active opposition or natural entropy that could cause one to otherwise fall. So some illustrations you might think about this. If you want to be still, stay in the same place on an escalator that's going down, what do you need to do? What do you need to do if you want to be on a, if I want to be in this place, if I'm on a down escalator and I want to stand right here, what do I need to do? I need to walk up. I need to walk up at the rate that this thing is moving down, right? That is the idea of, of enduring. That's one idea of enduring or abiding. It's I am actively working to stay in this place. If I just sit here, I won't stay in this place. I need to actively stay in this place. I read another author use the idea of, of sailing, how we, we work. So, so Christ's power, the Holy Spirit's power is the wind. I need, I need to actively have a sail that's catching the wind but I'm not powering this boat with this sail. There is an interworking. And anytime you get these tension things, it's easy for us to, to go in a ditch on one side or the other. It's like, I either want to talk all about God's grace and how it's not of me and it's all of Christ, or I want to talk about you need to do all the things. And it's both, and I wish I could simplify for you, that for you, but I can't. It just is. It's both things. Uh, there is an activity and there is a resting all at the same time. And that's why I'm probably going to have to talk about this for the rest of the week and all of next week. Um, now, it's interesting. You hear both those words, that the purpose of God might continue or that, it might, uh, that God's word endures. And those are what we call, Peter's going to love. I'm going to talk about grammar. Uh, those are intransitive verbs. I'm, I don't have an object that they're acting upon. I'm abiding. It's enduring. John tends to use it as a transitive verb. So you abide in something or something abides in you. And I'm just going to run through this list real fast because this is that weaving structure that John has, right? Christ's words abide in the believer, John 15, 7. The believer abides in Christ and Christ in the believer. The believer abides in Christ's love by keeping his commands. Christ abides in the Father's love by keeping his commands. The believer's fruit abides. The believer abides in Christ by walking as he walked. The believer abides forever. The true gospel is to abide in the believer. And if it does, the believer will abide in both the Son and the Father. That's where we are right now. The anointing of the Holy Spirit abides in the believer. You could preach a whole sermon on any of those verses. I'm not gonna. Um, But I want you to realize that the takeaway from here is that John wants his readers to actively hold on, to hold fast to what they've been taught, to the gospel, specifically concerning the deity and incarnation of Christ. Now, what's weird is, if they're genuine believers, the ones who have left, were they genuine believers? No. If these are genuine believers, will they abide? right? They will abide. So why is John commanding them to, to abide if he knows that as believers, they're going to abide? It's a weird, if you, if you stop and think about it for a second, it's kind of strange. Why, why do they have to hold fast to the truth if it's going to abide in them regardless? How many of you guys have kids? Uh, or grandkids. Um, and you ever pick a kid up and maybe you're like walking fast or something? And what do you tell them? You're walking. Hold on. Hold on tight. 
You know how many times I've, I've told them, like, hold on tight, buddy, all right, as I'm carrying him. Are you going to drop that kid if they don't hold on tight? No, maybe one of y'all might, but uh, <laughs> you're not going to drop that kid if they don't hold on tight. So why do you tell them to hold on tight? There is a benefit in them clinging to you. There's a relational benefit. There is a benefit in them learning to cling to something. There's all kinds of, of goodness that happens in that moment where a parent and a child cling to one another. I think that John wants and God wants his people to cling to his truth because his truth is good, right? And, it, and he will hold them fast, but there is... He wants them to experience the goodness of clinging to him, clinging to his word, clinging to his promise, holding fast the activeness of not just being floated along, but actively clinging to the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he says, abide, hold on tight in this thing. I don't think any of us are... Genuine believers are in danger of being lost. But there's a goodness to us abiding in Jesus and holding on tight. All right, I do have time for at least one of my effects. I'm going to try to get through two of these and we'll see. Um, The first effect, the primary thing that we see is that you will abide in the Son and in the Father. All right, like I said, (laughs) whole books There's a whole school of theology, field of theology called Union with Christ. And it's enormous, and I cannot talk about it in seven minutes. I will probably explore it more next week. But boiled down to its essence, this is an ongoing vital relationship with Christ. That is the first effect of abiding in the gospel and clinging to those truths is an ongoing vital relationship with Christ. As we saw in John 15, 4 and 5, that abiding with Christ goes hand in hand with producing fruit. Whoever abides in him produces much fruit. And that much fruit glorifies the God, glorifies the Father. And so our abiding in his word leads to abiding in Christ, which leads to producing much fruit, which leads to glorifying God. And that's the end game. The end game is glorifying God. I was listening to a podcast. To let you guys know how comfortable and confident I feel up here, I listened to a podcast episode this last week called literally, Help Me Teach the Bible. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's the level of confidence I'm working with right now. Um, and, and Nancy Guthrie, a Bible teacher, was interviewing a guy named David Helm, but he quoted his wife, and I thought this was really interesting, about the word abide, and she said, imagine being a big branch on a tree that somehow feels it can dismember itself from the trunk and the roots in which it has life and shove itself into the ground and think that somehow it's going to bear fruit. It's just not gonna. And moreover... My my kids will pull sticks off of stuff and leave them on the ground. They could even stick them in the ground. When Ida comes through, those sticks are gone, right? Half the trees are gone, so maybe it's not the great analogy. It's something slightly below Ida. Um, But 
abiding in the actual trunk and the roots, that's where the life and the resilience comes from. Um, we can't produce fruit. We can't do anything lasting without that abiding in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, and we abide in Christ's love by keeping his commands. His command is that, this is my commandment, that you love one another. So do you see these three things all tied together? We abide in the truth, that's the doctrinal test. You obey his commands, that's the moral test. And you love one another, that's the relational test. Because honestly, they're all, they're all interwoven. You can't, like, to obey God's command is to love God and love neighbor. Now that has lots of tentacles that lead to what that actually looks like. But really, that's the, that's the essence of the, of the law is love God, love neighbor. So you can't love neighbor and not obey his commands or vice versa. And, and you see that three-legged stool that these things all work together and, and they, they have to. They always go together. And it means that you only have the power, I only have the power to love my neighbor by the Holy Spirit. We sometimes fall into the trap of thinking of the power of the Holy Spirit as this thing that lets us do miraculous things like heal the sick or uh, pray in tongues or prophesy or raise the dead if you're super adventurous. Um, And we don't think about it as things like love our neighbor. I got news for you guys. It takes as much of the power of the Holy Spirit for me to sacrificially love my wife as it does for me to prophesy. One of those is not easier than the others. One is not, oh, that's what I just do naturally. No, I'm a dead, fallen, sinful human being who can't love anybody but myself apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Let's not put God in a box and limit what his definition of miraculous is, of Holy Spirit's work, of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. You can't love someone without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't really do it. For me to love my neighbor, for you to love your neighbor is a massive miracle. It's a huge miracle. And for someone to love you is a massive miracle. So when you feel the genuine love of a brother or sister in Christ, know that that is the Holy Spirit working in them. That's evidence of God's grace in that person's life. Um, Yeah, that's a big deal, guys. When you love each other, it's a big deal. Second effect. This is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I struggle with this verse, guys, if I'm honest, because it just kind of feels like a, it feels like it was like copy and pasted into the wrong spot. It, everything else is talking about abiding, and it just feels, it feels like a strange verse. Um, but there is an abiding that's inherent in the word eternal. Something that abides, abides. The word of the Lord abides forever. The believer abides forever. Now, eternal life has two elements to it. It's, there's an eternal, if you picture life as a square, you've got the depth and you've got the breadth. And you've got, or, or height and length. So eternal life incorporates this term, and John uses them both, and I don't think we're forced into either oring it. There is a present eternal life in which we walk, and then there is a future eternal life. And 
We sell ourselves short if we only like one of those definitions. And I think we all think of the future one. We'll get there, but I want to talk a little bit about the present eternal life. This is the experience in the eternal God with all of the effects and benefits that come with it. This is another just huge, what does it mean to abide in Christ, to be in God? Well, it begins with the defeat of the power of sin, progressive sanctification, growing more and more into the image of Jesus. Remember, God made man in his own image and his likeness. And then sin mars that image. It, it Picasso's it. And then sanctification is the process by which that's brought into closer and closer conformity to the true image of God. You bear God's image. Your neighbor bears God's image. These images are broken, but they're being redeemed. And that's, remember, that is the overarching story of the gospel is the world was good, the world has fallen, the world will be redeemed. That's the, that is the Bible as the earth sees it which comes in really handy when we get to whatever. Peter still thinks he's going to do 2, 15 through 17. We'll see when he gets back. Uh, but when we talk about do not love the world, this element of the world being good, fallen, and redeemable is going to come up. Spoiler, or teaser, I guess. Um, we have also been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's a good thing. You don't walk in darkness. You walk in light. Um, we have communion with the eternal God and access to his throne in prayer. That's a big deal. You can go to God in prayer. These little things that we take for granted, we forget how miraculous they are. Oh, and you also have Jesus praying for you too. Imagine you're sitting there and at this table and there's like prayer time and Jesus just like puts his hand on you and prays for you. That's literally happening all the time, guys. That's a big deal. <laughs> That's, that is eternal life right now with Christ. I know these are big, like, metaphysical concepts. They are really hard to put flesh and bones on. Um, I want you to take time. I think it's good to take time to think about how your life is tangibly better with Jesus. Because it's not just conceptual. And it doesn't mean it's easier. But it may be that you understand the hard better. You understand the, the suffering better. We can suffer with hope that God is doing something in a way that we don't have if we're not in Jesus, if we don't have this present eternal life. And it means that I'm less likely to grumble and complain because I see what's going on. And because I'm less likely to grumble and complain, I can love others better. Um, and then, of course, there's the future eternal life, that we will abide with God forever. And forever is a big word. But it means that even though right now we see through a glass dimly, that we will, again, I just, you, you could just sit and think about this for a whole day. We will eternally, perfectly behold the Lamb of God on the throne. And if you think that's going to get boring, it's because we don't have an understanding of eternal. We don't have an understanding of God's majesty and grandeur. I don't say that's a way to, by the way, don't hear this as a judgment because we're all in the same boat. Our brains can't process that. That's why we need an eternity. We are finite creatures. You're not broken if you have a hard time imagining this. I don't want you to feel like, oh, I'm like the worst Christian. I can't even think about that. Like, no, you're a person. 
you're in a, you're in a finite mind. Um, but we are going to get to gaze. How long could you sit and look at a tree and find it beautiful? Maybe five minutes, 10 minutes, if you're like really into arbory. Arbor, I don't know the word there. If you're an arborist. Now scale it to the Grand Canyon. How long could you look at the Grand Canyon and see it being beautiful? Longer, not forever. So there's a scale there of how glorious something is and how long you could gaze at it. Scale that to infinite. Infinitely glorious, infinite gazing. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, The eternal, perfect freedom from the power of sin. All these benefits we're experiencing right now, like, like, how many of y'all have ever been healed by God? How many of you, physically, still probably all of us, how many of you have gotten sick again after that? How many of you, uh, should the Lord tarry, will die? Right? We have momentary glimpses of eternal glory. How many of you are freer from sin than you were a year ago? Than 10 years ago? Than 20 years ago? That's glimpses of eternal glory and freedom from sin. I'm going to read this quote by Johnny Erickson Tata, and I'm going to do my best not to cry when I do, but I will probably fail at it. Who knows who Johnny Erickson Tata is? Anybody know? She is an artist uh, and a teacher. Uh, She suffered a diving injury at the age of 14, I believe, and was paralyzed from the neck down. She has limited use of her arms. She's in a wheelchair, uh, and she is brilliant. Uh, And I was listening to her in an interview talking about heaven specifically. And she says, I can't do this. Um, You look at me in this wheelchair, paralyzed for 52 years, and most people would think, oh, you're looking forward to your new body. And yeah, okay. That's what you get in one of those fringe benefits. But I'm looking forward to the new heart. A heart free from manipulating others with precisely timed phrases. A heart free of fudging the truth. A heart free of hogging the spotlight, believing my own press releases and all that stuff. A heart free of not believing the best about others. A heart free of caving into fear and anxiety about the future. I mean, I just can't wait to have a heart free of sin. I will be holy as he is holy. Because that is eternal life. We know it more or less at different times, but our sin that lives in this flesh robs us of so much joy. And I can't even imagine the joy that I could feel in an eternal life in the presence of an eternally glorious God without the governor on that joy that is provided by sin, without the sin in my heart that tampers and, and mucks up my joy on a daily basis and the joy of the people who I live with, certainly, and others. I can't wait for that, guys. I cannot wait for that. It's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. All right, that's all I have this week. I ran out of time. Uh, next week... We will discuss more effects of the goodness of abiding in the truth. Uh, Let's pray real quick. Thank you, Lord, for this time and these folks, for their attention, for your word. Uh, God, help me to express it clearly and feel it clearly in my life 
as much as I try to do in my words today. Lord, help us all to walk in the goodness of your gospel in Jesus' name. Amen.